This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and I am once again joined by my friend Carl Casarda of In Range TV on YouTube. It is a firearms YouTube channel. It is super cool. I recommend everyone go check it out. Uh, he is also a minister of the Satanic Temple as well. And uh, we had a fantastic conversation about two months ago about digital safety. And that got such a fantastic response. A lot of my listeners are now using Signal, as you have suggested, and I am using Signal to bombard all my friends with pictures of my cats now. So now my cats have gone from, you know, being unprotected to being very encrypted. We had such a fantastic conversation that I wanted to have you on again. So thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Well, thank you for that amazing introduction, and I appreciate being here, and I'm really excited to hear that the uh, reception of our last effort together was so well-received, and that people are picking up Signal and using it to send encrypted pictures of their cats, because the more we normalize technology like that, like I said in our last show, the better it is, because it doesn't look like an anomaly anymore. It should be the norm. Yeah. So that's cool. Absolutely. Well, before we move on with our conversation, I have to thank my patrons as always, Sean and Lena. Thank you so much. Patrons are really the way that this show can carry on. I cannot use my words today. Patrons keep this show alive. Uh, This show is not possible without my patrons. They are maintaining my debilitating content creation addiction and keeping me from selling my own internal organs on the street. They are keeping me from, you know, selling videos of me cutting out my organs on OnlyFans to uh, maintain this debilitating content creation addiction. So for anyone listening, if you enjoy my work, if you look forward to Sacred Tension or the blog every single week, then please consider becoming a patron. Only $1 a month. I am very, very cheap. You can buy me for $1, and it really does help. I keep it at $1 to unlock all extra content on Patreon uh, because I believe that it should also be cheap and close to free to support me. So then you can share your support. You can spread your support among creators you love. So also, if you like Carl Casarda, you should go support InRange TV on Patreon as well. Also, a number of my patrons have upgraded from $1 or from whatever amount to a higher amount. I so appreciate that. Thank you all so much. If you're someone who's done that, it really, really helps. Even if it's just an upgrade by $1, that adds up over time and it really means a lot to me. So thank you to all of my patrons who have done that recently. All right. I think that is everything out of the way. Hello again, Carl. (laughs) Hello. I do want to remind you that, you know, you can remove one kidney, but you can always remove one third of your liver. It will grow back. Oh, really? Yeah, livers restore themselves. So So I can just keep shaving off. So I can just keep shaving off my liver. And, yeah, uh, it's like liver micropayments, exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. What would you do? What could you do with with only a small portion of a liver, though? Well, I mean, as I understand it, and I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, but actually, like liver transplants, they t- take a portion of it, put it in the other person, and then it actually will grow to at least somewhat to its full size again. That's incredible. The human body is. That's amazing. a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, there's something about that. The other thing that's interesting about this, I know this is totally off topic. But I guess the liver is also very similar, similar, cellularly speaking, to fungus. Because when you take an antifungal Uh as a medication, it'll actually attack your liver, too. 
Interesting. So, so interesting stuff. You yeah. Have a, so basically, you have a gigantic mushroom living inside of you. I, I guess. I mean, cellularly, it's just interesting that the antifungal medicine will attack your liver simultaneously. Plus the fact that it grows back. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about it, That's but it's just an cool. interesting thing. So I could yeah. be a one man liver farm. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, uh, fortunately, I don't have to do that because my patrons are amazing and listeners who love the show go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long and sign up for $1 to get my patrons only show House of Heretics uh, where they can get to join in every Wednesday morning on the live show. And it is super cool and everyone should join. Seriously, it's it's super legitimate because like being crowdfunded is the only way forward because any form of corporate sponsorship or whatever, whatever, even if you think it won't has some kind of weird cooling effect on your work, you can't do what you want to do when you've got some sort of advertiser telling you what to do. It just doesn't work. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and I have definitely felt that way about my own work. Like there are some topics that I've covered on this show where I'm like, eh, you know, if I were selling, I don't know if i were selling you know whatever coffee mugs mushroom coffee <laughs> or or supplements or whatever bullshit i don't know if i would be able to to do that particular show or have that particular conversation that i want to have so Yes, this is a basically this entire segment is a big thank you to all of our patrons who make this possible. Well, it's a good intro, too, because the topics that you're dealing with and the ones I deal with, they're controversial and sometimes difficult. And that means that um, having them have the ability to tell you what you can or can't say makes it impossible sometimes. So I know we're going to talk about firearms and things around that. And that's a topic that is uh, there are so many topics in our society that are taboo to the point where. You have to find ways to get the messaging out because certain or entities or organizations don't want that. Like, I mean, guns are one, but there's many others like sexuality. There's lots of things that get squelched by the social media overlords and uh, they shouldn't be because they're conversations that need to be had. Yeah, 100% agree with that. So we are going to be talking about firearms. I wanted to have you on to talk about some of the thornier and more challenging aspects of firearms and i have a personally really complicated history with firearms so to just lay my cards on the table at the very beginning i grew up with guns and i grew up shooting guns with my dad so i my first interactions with guns were pretty positive but then when i was 19 years old i was in a shooting i survived a shooting in colorado and i was in the hallway where it happened and two of my friends were murdered and at the same time, the the gunman was apprehended, was was stopped by someone who had a concealed carry. And so I think that this actually demonstrates the complexity of this issue for me emotionally, where the guns involved were horrific weapons of destruction in my life. And this man was stopped because of guns. I know that there are people out there who would say, well, you know, it would just clearly the answer is no guns. Clearly that is the solution. And to me, it's a bit more, at least emotionally more complicated than that. So I, I have a lot of mixed feelings when it comes to firearms. In, in theory, I support the right to bear arms. And 
also, it wouldn't matter if I supported it or not because it's enshrined in the Second Amendment. It's not going away anytime soon. So my personal feelings wouldn't matter regardless. But I, I happen to support the right to bear arms. And yet that and I have some kind of like very libertarian instincts in terms of not wanting to infringe upon other people's lives and rights. And, you know, I'm kind of a left libertarian. I don't mean that politically. I mean, just my approach to other people, if that makes sense. I know libertarian has become kind of a bad word for a lot of people, which is stupid. Um, When I say libertarian, I mean, as long as someone else isn't hurting others, I don't care what they do. And firearms are part of that. The, The majority of people I know who have firearms are incredibly responsible with them. But then there are also these downsides that I see that that conflict, right? And and uh mass gun violence and so on. So <laughs> I so let's start from there. What everything that you just heard me say, what what's what's your initial response to that? It all makes sense to me. First of all, when you use the word libertarian, I think you're coming at it from the original intent and meaning of that word, not the usurped capital L version that we see being propagated in Twitter and the media and the actual capital L party, which has become the atrocity. And that's why the word's been kind of corrupted from its original intent. So I, I think the original intent is what you were describing, a, a, a very much a, a world in which we allow others to live their lives as they see fit, as long as they're not harming others in the process. No, that's the challenge of guns, though, is that guns allow people to definitely harm others in the process if they see so fit or through negligence. And But we live in a world full of those kind of problems, and it becomes a very complex and challenging one. And one of the very first things I hear when I hear about all this is like the first thought I have is if we could live in a world, I mean, literally could live in a world where such a thing had never been invented and there had never been nuclear weapons either. Let's just go on the nation state level, too. If neither one of those things could happen, poof, gone, would it be a better space for humanity? Probably would. But that's just not how technology works, right? Technology continues to constantly move forward and it does things that are both advantageous and disadvantageous when it comes to firearms another thing i hear a lot is people try to like represent other nations or they talk about like australia or europe and that we can get into that later but those places don't reflect this place this is a very unique experiment uh, in the united states uh for good and for bad and uh, firearms are part of this experiment for good and for bad. And I can, one of the things that I've tried to do within range, which was another topic we can get to, is that a lot of the narrative around things that have been done for good with these tools are mostly neglected in the conversation. And they're not neglected Mm. by people who have a bias against guns usually because they just don't know about them. They're usually neglected from the conversation because they have a bias from like, honestly, places of racism and bigotry in which firearms were used to defend the marginalized and that narrative has been left out of the historical conversation because it doesn't fit the worldview that certain people want to have. Interesting. Okay, so I let me think about that. So basically what you're saying is it, it's a com, it, it's a complex picture and that includes both the positive that that includes both positives and negatives. Some of the positives have been ignored in our discourse because of racism and the ways in which the narrative the the narrative has been shaped to to ignore the ways in which guns have actually protected minority communities 
Yeah, let me give you just one simple example of, of a project that was working on fairly recently, which is, again, just not in the normal historical discussion. Hmm. There's a place in Iowa called Grinnell, and Grinnell happened to be founded by a staunch abolitionist uh, pre-Civil War. And uh, the war was going on, and John Brown and, his, and the Underground Railroad, of which he was a portion thereof, was frequently using Grinnell as a place, as a depot under the Underground Railroad to help um, escaped enslaved peoples moved to Canada to get away from the horribleness of the United States. But Grinnell was a friendly place to that cause. And so he went through there quite often with that. But as the Underground Railroad was growing and things happened, there were a number of these people who had escaped north of the Mason-Dixon line and landed up just staying in Grinnell because it was friendly to them and they were living there. And uh, the local community tried to uh, ensure that they were able to receive an education because Enslaved people at that time, especially in the South, it was illegal for them to be literate. Um, this, is, this does go to a place. Um, and so uh, they started putting them into the local public school system. But even in a place that was abolitionistly founded, like Grinnell, there were locals that were not on board with this. And it started a riot. It was called the 1860 school riot. Mm. And they went to try and shut down the school and the school refused. And there was a, like literally an armed standoff. And the, the, the racist mob decided the best way to solve this then was not to attack the school, but to attack the four black men that were attending the school. So they turned around and went to find them and they were going to kill them. And the local abolitionists armed those black men, knowing that they couldn't do it themselves. And those four men, because they had revolvers, stopped the standoff, saved their own lives and were able to move on further down the Underground Railroad. And we don't know what happened to them, but they survived that day where an entire mob was out to kill them. That sort of stuff isn't discussed very often on either right or left wing circles, because mm -hmm. on the right, the right is frankly, probably uh, has more affection for the for the mob frequently more than not. And the left doesn't either know about or is unaware of or is frequently so biased against firearms that they don't really want to look into those times. And that's just one example of, by the way, lots that are left out of the historical narrative that this sort of thing happens. Right. So. On the left, it's often ignored because it doesn't fit the narrative. I mean, I was just having, I just had Lucian Greaves on a week or two ago to talk about the situation in Boston that's going on and the ways in which the the religious discrimination that, that TSD is experiencing in Boston is not getting adequate news coverage. People aren't talking about it on the left. And the reason is, it's not the right story. These aren't theocrats in office in the Bible Belt. These are, you know, presumably progressive Democrats. It's the wrong story. And so when the when it's the wrong story on the left, we don't talk about it. And that's, that's right. incredibly and frustrating. Yeah, I think it's a normal human thing to a large degree. But when it comes to this topic, this topic has been, and I understand why it's a controversial topic, but this topic has been that way since the beginning, right? I mean, really, mm. since the beginning. Um, the, the, um, the original writing of the constitutional rights that are in this, the Bill of Rights, technically, when you really look at it, did not apply to everyone that lived in this country, nor did it apply to all men. It replied, it, when they wrote that, Thomas Jefferson specifically, was thinking of what he referred to as men and citizens, which were white property owners. Yes. <laughs> that did not <laughs> include anyone else, yes. right? So, so those words written now, when you read them out of the context of the time, um, in a good way, should apply for all human beings that live here. And that's what it, it should have been from the very beginning. But from the very beginning, there has been racist and bigoted and tools of control that meant, meant that the weapons 
and the ability to use them were leveraged only by the powers that could be. And that vacuum of power means that the marginalized are the ones that take the brunt of it. Mm. I don't know if that's where you wanted to go. But yeah, no, no, no. This is yeah. this is great. Yeah. This is great. I think one of the areas where philosophy meets reality or ideals meet reality in a really brutal way is the topic of suicide. Yeah. And so everyone knows about mass shootings. It's bad. Everyone knows about gun violence. It's bad topic of much less conversation is the correlation between guns and suicide. And there is a very high, you know, there's a really high correlation between guns and suicide. I know this, and this is dear to my heart, A, because I myself have mental health issues and my partner works in suicide prevention. And so my partner will travel around the state as part of his job and hand out gun locks, free gun locks at mm-hmm. uh, shooting ranges. And part of the reason is because accessibility to firearms makes the likelihood of suicide more likely. So just a few stats here that I that I collected. This is from uh, preventfirearmsuicide.efsgv.org. Firearms are used in half of all suicide deaths. Three-fifths of all suicides. Uh, Suicides make up three in every five gun deaths. Suicide by firearm is almost always deadly. Nine out of ten firearm suicide attempts result in death. Every day, 64 Americans die by firearm suicide. One every 22 minutes. In 2019... 23,941 Americans died by firearm suicide. So that eclipses deaths from police violence. That eclipses deaths from uh, homicide. This is, for me, where, the, where my philosophy of, of kind of libertarianism and support of firearms really crashes into reality. <laughs> or crashes into into the facts on the ground which is that suicide is often a matter of accessibility suicide is very often a matter of ease and accessibility and if there's easy access to something to hasten a suicide in the in a, in the moment it's very often impulsive and in the moment then it's more likely for it to happen. And and one of the most important aspects of suicide prevention is removing the the frictionless, re, in, including friction, in implementing points of friction between someone and the possibility of death, right? And guns really reduce that friction. I have a friend who killed himself with a gun and uh, the ready access to that gun is what enable is 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 what made it really easy for him. So we can talk about firearms in terms of gun violence, in terms of police violence. I think one of the areas that is often neglected, and it is one of the most important, you know, one of the most prevalent forms of gun violence, is suicide. So. 
As someone who thinks about this issue quite a bit, and as someone who is just immersed in the world of firearms and the history of firearms, how do we deal with this? Like, how do we deal with the fact that we do in the United States have the Second Amendment, we do have the right to bear arms, and that's a right that I absolutely support, and yet ready access to firearms is correlated with higher levels of suicide. How do we square that? Well, statistically, and I'm not trying to, first of all, I'm sorry that anyone's experienced that, including yourself. It's a horrible loss. And um, obviously it is uh, not something to ever be taken lightly. Mm. But first of all is, I don't know statistically, and, and this is a question, not a statement, do is there a higher level of suicide attempts as a result of firearms or a higher level of success so what i mean by that is there's a cultural phenomenon do we have more suicide attempts in the u.s in general due to many things that are going culturally very sideways in this country let's be realistic we're not dealing with an optimal time here and as a result the fact is that firearms and the proclivity and the availability of them in this country means that those attempts are far more successful because they would be obviously firearms are very lethal tools and using them that way is um, uh, going to likely be successful, but that doesn't necessarily correlate to the numbers of people trying. Mm. Right. And so if we go to a number and I don't know the answer to this, this is a, not a, this is not a statement, but in, if let me, let, let me postulate this, if there weren't large amounts of firearms around, would the attempt numbers be different or would the attempt numbers be the same the end result of success being lower. Now that doesn't change the problem because obviously the availability means that the success is higher, mm. but at the same time, all technology is, and this sounds callous and I don't want it to be, is a double-edged sword. The social media that we use, gosh knows what that's culpable for in terms of human mental health in our society right now. And it's a double-edged sword and firearms statistically, it is much easier, much easier to record a successful suicide or murder for that matter, than it is the probably numerous times, and I know this for a fact just from my own personal life, of times in which people had them, brandished them, and saved their lives with them that were never reported. So these are weird statistical things to detect, and there's mm. like kind of a dark hole. There's not going to be a report of every time someone brandished something and saved their life walking down the street because they were the wrong color or the wrong gender. That's not necessarily going to be on a record somewhere. But there definitely will be a record of every time a suicide is successful with a firearm. And I don't mean to sound callous, but that is going to really sway the conversation in a, in a statistically biased way. Now, when it comes to suicide in general, of course, I think the greatest thing in that regard is community and support and social networks and social webs and social support. And there are things that can be done for people who, First of all, if that's an issue that one is struggling with, I would not recommend a firearm, obviously, for obvious reasons. Or if you have one, there are things that you can do with a friend, like not necessarily let them borrow the gun because that's not possible in many states or places, but you could remove the firing pin and your friend can hold on to the firing pin, for example, and you still hold on to the gun. That's a really common practice, um, uh, which is even better than the um, lock because you cannot fire the gun without a, without the firing pin as just one simple example. And I know of people who have friends that are having a hard time and that's what they do is they hold on to the firing pin for them. Mm -hmm. And that does increase friction, mm -hmm. but doesn't necessarily remove the firearm from their possession. I don't know if I got to a good answer there, but I think statistically it's hard to use these numbers. Cause like I said, the data on one thing 
isn't there, but the data on another is. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And while you were talking, I was I was doing some some quick Googles trying to find an answer. But, you know, as as is always the case, it's hard to get a clear picture from five minutes on YouTube or five minutes on Google. And so I I don't know how many of those are attempts versus versus completed suicides. And, you know, I, I hear you when it comes to the double-edged sword of technology, where I think the, the, the simplistic and wrong answer is to say, well, we just need to somehow reverse the clock and go back to some, you know, mythical time period where social media didn't exist or where, you know, I mean, there was no point when guns didn't, you know, when firearms didn't exist, you know, back to this, you know, medieval period or whatever. But this is the this is the world we live in and we have to create policies and a culture and norms that make this technology safe. And I guess that's the challenge is how do how do we do that? Because we can't put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to any kind of technology. When it's out, it's out. Um, the question is, how do we create a, a healthier society? I don't expect you to have answers to that question. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I do have some thoughts on that, though, sure. especially in this country. So for, so right off the right off the bat, right off the bat. Like what, like you said, the genie's out of the bottle, especially in this country when it comes to firearms. If you look at the numbers of firearms that are owned in this country, <laughs> it is astonishing how many guns exist in oh, this yeah. country. It it's, is, it, but that, it, that's, so there's two ways. Again, statistics are so interesting to look at in more than one way, right? One way to look at that is there's an astonishing number of them, and not to minimize any of the bad events that happen with them, but correlatively, based on the number that exists percentage wise used in something bad is a tiny number actually that's um, uh that is a point well made but but that does not minimize those tiny numbers they're horrible like that that's sure. that's there so we can't take that away from that either and as the same thing we're not going to ever live in a world without social media and nor should we say that social media hasn't brought us benefits the fact that you and i are having this conversation today is because social media exists we would have never probably ever met if it wasn't for that oh absolutely and there's lots of lots of great things that have happened through that and there's lots of bad things that have happened from that and i think it's the same thing with this but when i was getting to those large numbers of firearms like you can look at them and be like that's an insane number and you can think of why would any country want that and that's a reasonable question you can mm -hmm. also look at it as wow there's a lot of them and not that many of them are used badly that's another way to look at it and both sides tend to use that for their own bias but i think the hard reality is that number is so large that any idea of them leaving or being gotten rid of is unrealistic. Like, I do not think that we can change that problem. You could change every law, you could take away the Second Amendment, and 80% of the people that own firearms could just turn them in, like, willingly. And this country is still going to be a wash in guns. It's just reality. And so that doesn't mean that we don't do something or don't try to do more reasonable things. But at the same time, they're not going away. And so in this regard, I really feel there's a similarity here of of ignorance rather than knowledge in regards to the problem so on one side of our cultural divide you'll see people arguing for um 
uh, abstinence programs and no sexual education. And on another side of our political spectrum, you'll see people arguing for no firearms understanding or training. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying teach kids to shoot, but I am saying, for example, a general understanding. If you're an American and you don't even know how to unload a gun or know if it's safe or even which way to point it, well, you're living in a place where those things are prolific and the odds of you running into one, quite honestly, are kind of high. So ignorance isn't a great answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, one of the things that I'm really grateful to my dad for is he taught me those things. And I'm really glad that he taught me how to handle one and he taught me how to shoot. Those are important things to know in this country where there are more guns than people. Um, Is that stat correct, by the way, that there are more guns than people? I I, I don't know that it's more than people, but it's certainly something like that. If it's not, it's got to be close. I don't know the exact number, but it's it's an enormous number. So would you say that the stated harms over guns is a moral panic, that it is overstated, that the harms of having these, uh, you know, just being awash in firearms, that that people tend to overstate the the cultural societal damage that this causes? Ooh, that's a hard thing to answer correctly because to the individual who has suffered a loss as a result of this, whether it's a suicide of a friend or someone who survived Columbine, cannot be understated. So to them, there's no way that you could ever argue this is understated, right? right. It's over, it's, 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 I mean, overstated. It's understated for them. They went and suffered through that. They right. lived through that or or didn't. So that is not, I don't think you could ever say that that's overstated. But I think if you want to go to cold, hard data and analytics and statistics, I wouldn't use the word moral panic because we have a real problem. But I would say that the data sets are skewed in one way because, as I mentioned earlier, things like the historical record of people actually saving lives or saving themselves or marginalized people or just walking down the street in the presence of one legally possessed preventing them from getting killed or preventing an attack isn't going to be in the data set it just isn't right and that doesn't get reported about, i mean this is this is the classic no. thing this is the classic thing with good news good news doesn't get recorded and only the bad news gets recorded and so this is you know for you know this is stephen pinker's point say what we will about stephen pinker he's a complicated thinker pros and cons there. But the point that he constantly makes is the positive trends don't get recorded in the data and don't make it into the news, whereas it's the negative stuff that always gets into the data and into the news. And so which means that we have a very skewed view of the way reality is right now. Yeah, no, we do. And when it comes to this topic, again, I don't want to understate the the, the the significance and the dangers here. I'm not trying to do that. I don't hope any I hope anyone listening to me doesn't take away that as, I'm marginalizing as, the as reality someone, of this. As yeah. someone who has experienced really, you know, traumatic violence, I don't feel that way at all about what you're saying. So I'm glad to hear no that because that would never be my intent. Yes. And I appreciate that. It's it's a yeah. sensitive topic, right? But I personally know myself is one, but I don't want to go there, but others who have are maybe here today because of them. Um, so uh, like when I think of, of someone in, in this country now, personally, who probably needs a firearm more than anyone, whether we would like, obviously we'd want the world not to be like this, but someone who needs a firearm is a person of color or a trans person or a trans person of color. Uh, that's the person that needs a gun right now in this country, not the right wing Christian guy that's on TV. Right. And that's, that's that's where this does change the narrative. And before these 
tools existed. Um, and we got to go way back for that. But there was a situation in a system in which pretty much everyone was under the power and the control of whoever had the monopoly on violence. I mean, if you want to go back to knights, that's the truth, right? They, they, they controlled the land. The samurai controlled the land. Hmm. And when firearms became democratized, that changed the landscape dramatically. And that's a more left-wing talking point. But it did change the world. and It, it became more democratic, individual. in other words. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think that there is an equalizer to that. And I know that's such a cliche statement, but there's a truth to that. When, when any one thing has a monopoly on power or violence, someone else is getting squelched. Always. That's just how it works. And this is an instance in which I personally strongly believe that a proper, responsible, adult, mature approach to these tools can shift that paradigm more in the direction of the individuals or the communities rather than the powers that be. Hmm. There's also just the the physical equalizer. I mean, someone who is physically less powerful, that playing field is is leveled when there's a, a firearm involved or maybe not leveled but it it's it's changed when firearms it, it, get involved. it puts everything on its ear right it doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter what the disparity or discrepancy of force is if it is if it's a person in a wheelchair or one person yes. one marginalized identity versus a group of five yes. these are all imbalances of power and it does change that very quickly like i said that story from 1860 in grinnell Yes, that was 1860. But the reason we can talk about that was because there is some historical record of it and I can report on it. But there are events like what happened in Grinnell in 1860 happening now that aren't necessarily being reported. There are people alive as a result of that. Tell, tell us some about that, because it's very hard to get a clear idea of how serious hate crime is in the United States. It's a problem. It exists. It's real. Um, it's really hard. And escalating. Some, let's be realistic. And, and escalating. All of that is true. It's really hard to get... So if you live on Twitter or you live on Facebook, it's really hard depending on what part of, you know, in what culture you're existing in. It's really hard to get a sense of, of the actual numbers. Do you have a clear sense of what the numbers are of hate crimes? In the United States, I, I do not have the numbers, but I do have a, I do have being in the space that I work and I have legitimate stories of people that I know or have spoken to that have that are that have been able to prevent very terrible things from happening to them as the result. Now, those are not is that apocryphal, I guess, to a certain degree, because it's not a data set. But it isn't but going to get into like, the data as we as no, we previously see, this, discussed. This is, the, this is the challenge. So this is the challenge with this topic, and it's very hard mm. sometimes. Because, like for example, if you go back to the 18, 1960s, 70s, well, even now, but but the prime time of when we think of like the 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 really tumultuous elements of the civil rights movement, there were there is like a lot of history that isn't necessarily for you. And what I mean by that, not you, as you, Stephen, but like us or many of us. I'm a white guy. My history isn't like there are many black communities, for example, that have knowledge about don't go down that street where that's where the Klansman is mm. or don't do this or this is what happened in our neighborhood. And these are things that stay generally within the community for their own community defense and support that don't necessarily make it anywhere beyond that. And it's very hard to break through that shell for obvious reasons, because people that have to have done things to defend themselves or have lived through things like that don't necessarily go broadcast that 
And this is the case even today, I think, with 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 people with, with like I said, BIPOC or trans rights. These are these are people that are on the inappropriately placed on the fringe. And that community and mutual aid and self-defense generally is talked about within the circles that are trusted and safe, not necessarily to like the mass media. Um, and that makes it a difficult thing to discuss. Right. Um, it really does, because um and but at the same time, those methods and tactics and strategies are important for the safety that those communities are pursuing in and of themselves. Um, I think that like I, there's I have watched with my work, at least a, a very a, a significant uptick and progression of people that let's just say on the left side of the topics, arming up or believing in the idea. And I think January 6th was a real wake up call to that, because if that had gone just slightly different. This would have been a very different situation right now, probably. Um, and it was close enough as it was. But allowing, let's just say, that segment to walk around uncontested as the only armed part of the society is not a winning strategy when the government itself, as we've seen, especially with TSD and other things, isn't necessarily on your side. Yeah, I think you're probably right about all of that. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about you is you're you you you're willing to step into the complexity of this topic and the historical complexity of this topic and i think that's what annoys me so much about the discourse over guns over firearms is how it's you know this all bad or all good it is this you know all all positive or all negative thing. And I really appreciate that you don't take that approach. Well, well thank you. I appreciate that in return. The, 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 the challenge I think is so multifaceted. You have one side of the conversation that is totally inappropriate and they believe these items to be just magical totems and they, 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 they fetishize them. <laughs> these are tools. They're no different than a car or a knife or a computer. They're a tool. And in, the, in this country, these firearms have been fetishized by the media, by books, by, by, by entertainment, by people to become these like, they are fetishized, right? This is, this is part of the challenge. And one of the problems we have is that they become toys and they become fetish, fetishized totems rather than lethal weapons and tools. That's one problem. That's one side does that. And you can see that fetishization easily just open up any movie or TV show or media or any gun group, you'll see that fetishization. And then on the other side, you have a tendency, and I don't mean to be binary with this because it's a spectrum as anything is, but on the other side, you have people who have done the opposite and see them as only tools of evil that have only been used to do malicious things and only owned by bad people, mm. <laughs> which is also not, not true. true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I want to ask some questions that came in from my Discord server. Um, this first question here touches on what you just said about the way people fetishize guns. Uh, one member of my Discord asks, I wonder if you would agree that a lot of the problems with guns in the U.S. is the right has made it guns as a personality rather than simply a thing someone owns. I know a lot of people on the left point that out, and I do agree it's a major part of the problem. It sounds like you would 100% agree with that. 
Yeah, no, I do go with that. Like, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things that define one's personality, right? There are people that are probably avid fishermen and that's our fisher people and they go fishing every weekend and their life is greatly enhanced by their fishing hobby. <laughs> but that's still not your life, right? That is a portion of your life. And there, there's definitely been a thing here with, with, with firearms where it has become an identity in and of itself. And you can almost always tell this because someone that's part of that uh, when you go see their Facebook page, it's like you'll almost never find a very pro-gun person where their first picture of their avatar isn't them with a gun. Like it's always. And right. If like, and that's and, and by the way, we're all susceptible to this. Let's be realistic. A lot of Satanists do similar things with other stuff, like Satan. Oh stuff, yes, absolutely. Right? It's, like it's, it's just nonstop. This it's like Satan. I mean, one hundred and eighty percent of the time. I don't think that's ever healthy. Balance is a very important thing in life, and. Mm uh firearms even if you're really into it like i am i'm a, I'm a competitive shooter and it's a sport for me as well as a skill and a interest i don't i would hope and i hope no one sees this as me I, it doesn't define me as a human being like it is a thing that's a part of me and it's a thing that maybe people can be part of or many other things can be but if that one thing becomes your whole identity yeah you're gonna have a pretty skewed worldview and i think the i think for marketing reasons as so many things in this country are really apt to do, that has been cultivated as a thing. It has become a cultural identity. For whatever reason, Americans have like, we've always culturally tended to have this soft spot in our heart for the rugged individual that does it on their own and they're self-sufficient and all that stuff, which reality is that sounds cool, but that only works for like the smallest of percentage of people that are lucky, like rock stars in terms of that. The truth <laughs> is community community and mutual aid is where it's at. That's the only way society moves forward. And so, but that being said, that little soft spot is used to market lots of things. It's not marketing, not just guns. I mean, you'll see that with all sorts of things, whether it's cars or way back when cigarettes, remember the Marlboro man, the rugged mm -hmm. cowboy out there all by himself. Um, and you see it with guns too. And it does work because that that little soft spot for rugged individuality and this idea that it makes you this this superpower human or that matter sexuality to those things sell right and i think that yeah i think it has been a marketing tool not just for selling objects or firearms but also cultivating um a maybe not necessarily healthy approach to these tools like you see marketing to sell them but what about marketing to be like legitimately well-skilled and regulated and trained with them. You don't see a lot of that. And there is that. I'm not saying there's none of that, but that's not what's put foot forward. I I also just have to say, so before we started recording, I was binging your channel in in prep for this conversation. And one of the things that I love so much about your show and, and your vibe, your aesthetic, is that you are super masculine you have that like rugged individual bro vibe to you and your videos do but you're but you're not toxic the thing that you just described you aren't that and i really appreciate that i wish that there were more guys out there who could do that you know more more straight guys who could who could who could embody that who could who, who can be like you know it's okay to be a bro not saying that you're a bro but it's okay to be a bro yeah. it's okay it's okay to be masculine it's okay to 
to be a dude, to be the a, a cis dude who's super into guns and you're out in the desert and you're shooting guns and and so on and so forth. And you don't you can be all of those things and you don't have to be toxic and hate, you know, LGBTQ people. <laughs> I think I, that's one of the things that I really like about you. Well, thank you. I don't even I, I, I'm not very good at compliments, but, but I appreciate that. That's like I'm just being me when I yeah, do exactly. my work on there. I really am. It's not, it's never been like, I've never tried to be a personality. I'm just doing me. And, uh, um, and, uh, and I'll tell you that in my world, it's like, as a result of opening of a lot, the best I can say is hopefully I've provided space where there's air in the room for others to speak because so much of the gun content creation environment doesn't leave air in the room for anything else. Like besides this one narrative. Hmm. And I, I haven't, tried to cultivate that beyond just like leaving that air there to see what would come into the space. And um, there's been a lot of really amazing people that I've got to meet and people that come to my events of all identity, of all persuasions of, 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 of gender spectrum or identity and um, people that are quote masculine that are hopefully like you're describing me. And I appreciate that. That's a really wonderful compliment to people that are uh, very feminine across the board and, 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 and all they're working together for, the mutual interest or the idea of getting better at skill at arms together. And that to me, that's the, that's what the American ideal should have been, which is this is a thing that can build bridges, not burn them Mm -hmm. and having and allowing and affording the people that need the right. And the sadly, I wish we didn't, but providing the ability and the training and the environment for people that need this more than the people that don't, should be the thing to do. Like if, if it's like, I, I don't know how to put that any other way. It's, 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 this should be a democratizing thing that ensures that no one, that less people, cause it's no one's not a real thing that less people are being harmed, not more harm reduction, right? That's the word I'm looking for. That's, I mean, that's kind of an anarchist creed harm reduction. You never get rid of it, but you try to reduce. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big believer in harm reduction. And speaking of harm reduction, here's one last question from Discord. Uh, They say, I live in the UK and our police have recently started carrying firearms for the first time ever. As many know, this resulted in the death of, most recently, Chris Caba. What advice would you have to halt the violence perpetrated by police, particularly towards people of color, as we have seen is endemic in the U.S.? So this is a really challenging and complex question, and I'm sorry that I bring this up at the very end of the show. Um, and I have I have my own convoluted thoughts on this, but what are your convoluted thoughts on this? Well, I kind of feel like... It's interesting the UK is going there. To be honest, I mean, we are seeing a rise of authoritarianism worldwide. Yes. The US in one way and in other places in others. That I mean, to me Italy, feels like another... Italy, just, in, just as an example, just elected like this crazy far-right, uh, you know, ultra-conservative Catholic. So, yeah, it, it's happening. That's happening everywhere. So this feels like just another facet of that. I mean, UK is like, this is not me. This is not me. Uh, throwing shade on the UK in particular, but since we're talking about the UK, we, we've been, there's been like, it's been not hard to watch the UK's movement into surveillance society and culture and things in ways that are quite disturbing, right? Um, this sounds, I don't know enough about their arming of the armament of the local police, which I know is not normally the trend there. 
I don't know how much of that speaks to that mm, that general direction in general, but there's definitely a worldwide move towards authoritarianism, and that feels very much like that. When it comes to the topic of guns and firearms and the police, boy, is that a complex one, because the problem there, as we talked about earlier, uh, this marketing, that, for lack of a better term, that rugged individual or the the masculine marketing, whatever that means, that has been around firearms and certain things. That's also been, let's be realistic, the um, the general enrollment and uh, advertising for people who land up becoming uh, law enforcement worldwide. Um, the uh, There has not been an effort, I don't see, at least in the United States, and I don't see this in general in any police organization in the world, that isn't trying to cater to that mindset and guess what you get when you cater that mindset you get a bunch of thugs and it doesn't matter if they're using a gun or a stick um you get an environment that's filled with thugs and the problem is you put good people into a situation that's filled with thugs the good people either leave or become a thug so that's i think personally that's what you're seeing with police in general the united states is of course we know this to be very obviously the case and I would be highly surprised if that wasn't still the case in places like the UK or any other country. That's my thought on that. And I'm sorry that it was used, a gun was used, but, and it will make it easier. And the discrepancy, and here's an example of this, not to get super spicy, but the disparity and discrepancy of force in the UK versus here, if things got real bad, which they have, but even worse, um, over there, we saw this where, well, God, over Hong Kong. I mean, you see this in places where there's like no choice but to resist with arcane tools like like sticks and like glue traps. To there's you, that's true. Not trying to sound like a revolutionary, but if only the government has a vac has the has is the if the government is the only place where power and force is allowed to exist, they will find a way to abuse it. And the more that discrepancy exists between the average community and society. From the powers to be, the worse it will get. Yeah, that's my that's my feeling personally. Yeah, I yeah I I think I agree with you there. And what about the possibility? And this is one thing that I've heard quite a bit. I can imagine someone listening to this conversation and say, you know, one of the reasons why police resort to violent hold on my cat is very aggressively nuzzling the microphone this is eli by the way he he attends every single podcast in sacred tension history um but one of the talking points that i hear on occasion is one of the reasons why police tend to use force is because there are so many guns and so if if a cop is in is is if if a cop it pulls someone over and there's a chance of that person pulling a gun on you because that cop knows that there are a gazillion guns in this country does that not culturally just escalate everything does the existence of guns just not escalate the the way the cop might handle that situation and is and again that goes back the this talking point goes back to the culture we have a culture where uh you know we are awash in guns does that not change the climate in which 
cops interact with the public? I think it might, depending on the identity of the person they're interacting with. Sure. Um, if we were to take, if we were to somehow avoid and, and uh, disarm all of our society, and let's go ahead and say disarm the cops too, which is never happening here. We're, we're militarizing them, not disarming them. But if, if we were disarming them and our cops here suddenly or never were armed with guns, and no one in society was armed with guns and they just rode around on motorcycles or horses or cars with clubs. I don't think we wouldn't see people of color not getting killed by cops. I think the problem would still exist. Frankly, it might make it easier, uh, but I don't think it would change it because it's easy to use the excuse of concern about a firearm as justification for inappropriate, inappropriate levels of violence enacted. But the problem there isn't the fear of the firearm. The problem is the training and the culture and the community and the people that are in, in, enabled with power using an excuse to do something un, inexcusable. Yeah. So basically, you know, the climate is no excuse for unjust behavior. I don't think so. And we have a we have a world, especially in this country, but a world that does not seem to hold those people to the same uh, levels of responsibility that they would a civilian and i don't use that word lightly because cops are civilians but anymore they're not like they're militarized like let's just be realistic and so um they i can give you an example of this in fact it was it was it was uh it wasn't this isn't even a racial or minor, uh, marginalized issue in which this is where the example of how bad the system is in regards to law enforcement and the average person was actually in Arizona, there was a man named Daniel Shaver, who was a rodent uh, eliminator, exterminator, and he was traveling and he was in a hotel room in Mesa, Arizona, which is a very gun friendly place. And someone saw him with supposedly a firearm in a window from like the parking lot and they called the police. And the police showed up and what it was, was he had an air rifle that he used for eliminating rats or something, mm -hmm. but someone saw him with it and they called and he was in his room intoxicated because he had been drinking, he was on a trip. And they show up like essentially a SWAT team, if nothing, not a SWAT team, a militarized group. There's one commanding officer and another officer with a unauthorized, essentially an, a, an AR-15 that had illegal modifications to it. Not necessarily that important. And they yelled out to this man for him to come out of his room and had him crawling on his belly in his underwear or shorts across this, uh, this hallway while pointing an AR-15 at him and screaming incomprehensible commands. You can find the video if you're willing to stomach it. And when he went to pull his underwear up, they killed him. And the here's what happened. The commanding officer retired and got his retirement. And the officer that pulled the trigger got uh, medical leave for PTSD. Oh, my God. So, Jesus and that's Christ. against a white man. So imagine what could happen to a person of color. You don't even hear about it. So if that's the world we're living in with the police, I don't see the problem personally being the gun. I see the problem with a system that works or doesn't work that way. Right. So this is deeper than an easy fix, the quote unquote easy fix being guns. Well, that wouldn't be an easy fix, but seems easier than fixing the deeper problem, which is a culture of policing, a culture of brutality and militarization. Yep, yeah, I think so personally. So I think it's easy to talk about the guns as the as part of that. And guns, I would say, guns are part of it, but guns are not it. The problem there is deeper. I, I, I that's mm -hmm. my that's my answer to that question. Hmm.
Yeah. You know, it, yeah. And it's interesting, you know, just yesterday I was having a, a heart to heart. Yesterday I was having a conversation with a coworker who is Latinx and she was just telling me horror stories about the interactions that she and her family have had with the cops. It's definitely a thing. I mean, it's definitely real. And I think that your, your point that this is deeper than guns might be true. Yeah, it's a cultural issue. The guns might make it a little easier for them to do it, but I don't think it changes it. And the police question deep and large. But when it comes to the police, I think the reality is they they realistically know who they can who they can mess with and get away with on a social, economic, political level. Hmm. And they as a result, they, they behave accordingly. So um, there's obviously bigotry and things built into the system, clearly. But there's social economic elements to this as well. If you look poor, they're pretty sure that you're not, or they think you're poor. They don't, that you are going to get a different level of treatment because the odds of you being able to defend yourself in this really broken legal system is probably zero to none. Yeah. And that changes the way they act with you dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, you know, the moral of the story is, at the end of this show is it's all very complex (laughs) and it's 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 complicated and you know that's that's the that's what I discover the moment I do any kind of reading or research into any of this stuff when it comes to police shootings when it comes to mass shootings when it comes to suicide when it comes to firearms in the United States in general is it it's incredibly complex but it's worth delving into it and I I'm so grateful to you for coming on and uh, talking some about that complexity and being our tour guide through this interesting hellscape. <laughs> <laughs> it is that. I mean, to put on a positive spin, the only thing I can think of, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for being willing to delve into these difficult topics. They matter. They're important. Um, my only thought further on this is that the best thing that we can do from an individual, if you find that you are interested in this or you believe that you have a need, is the ownership of these things is not the solution. Owning it is only like one tenth of the solution, knowing how to use them safely, how to properly handle them, how to actually, if you need to aim and hit something with them effectively, Hmm. these things, and I'm not talking about necessarily in self-defense, just even for sport. These are, if you're going to go down the path of firearms possession and ownership, make sure you're doing it for one, the right reasons, which are, the things that we've talked about here, but also that if you're going to own it, legitimately learn how to use that thing properly. Um, The real risk is having that and thinking that having it is the solution. And it's not, that's just, that's just the first step. Mm. For people who want to find your work, where can they do that? Uh, You can find me at inrange.tv. And if you go to inrange.tv slash watch, I have decentralized my distribution of my content to YouTube is where 99% of the views are, but I've decentralized because I don't like being owned by one corporate oligarchy. So if you go to inrange.tv slash watch, you'll find all of my distribution points and you should be, should be a piece of cake to go from there. So hopefully if you're interested and want to learn more, you'll find stuff on the channel about, you'll find just literally like shooting videos about like going to competitions and you'll find videos about things like Grinnell, Iowa on there. It's a pretty mixed bag of stuff. 
awesome. Yeah, it's a fantastic YouTube channel and you have a like fantastic network of content and I recommend everyone go check it out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by 117. The theme song is called Wild. You can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and it is made possible by my patrons at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. 